This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to Crunch Time. Up to meet it, Fritz. Brushed his way clear. Snapped. A goal. Walters underneath. Zooms in and kicks the goal and ignites the crowd. Flukey ball picked up and handballed. Melkson's way who curls through another. They're just about to put it beyond the Dockers. Superbly executed. This has been quite a statement from the D's. Congratulating and celebrating each other. They had a convincing win. A win that will be watched by all in AFL football on a Friday night. I thought tonight was the urgency and the intensity that we needed as a footy club and it was it was on show tonight. I think we're second in the comp for points against, so we've been pretty strong defensively for most of the year, but tonight was to another level. Um, it was all over the ground, it was in the front half of the ground, it was in the back half and I thought our desperation to defend and win contests was back to its really highest level. Melbourne re-establishes its trademark qualities. Some straight talking matched by the actions of a team ready to sharpen up for the Premiership defence. We'll delve into the lessons of Friday night footy. Well, his track record speaks for itself and yeah, we'll continue discussions with Alistair and we've also got a number of interviews going on with other candidates. For me it's the Giants over North Melbourne. If I'm Alistair Clarkson, I just I just look at the list. Well, I don't understand why you wouldn't choose yeah. the Kangaroos. That's why I think Alistair Clarkson would be given more scope to be himself with the Kangaroos than any other club. They're not going to rein him in. And I think that Alistair Clarkson's obviously the right man for the job, so I think he's the obvious one, and, and I'm glad they're going about it. He gives the club automatic credibility. We need someone that can be the front person for that footy club. If they can land Clarko, I think that it appeases a lot of people. The flag drops on the race for Clarko. The Giants make the early running, but the confidence out of North Melbourne is striking in the tussle for the biggest signature in footy. As I say, the fabric of the game's being attacked in my view. So, yeah, I am, I am disturbed. Yep. I couldn't sleep Sunday night. I don't know what I was thinking. It was a bloody one free kick. It's the symbolism of it. I love my teammates. I love the coaches. I think we've got a great list where, you know, we can compete finals and premierships. Melbourne was the choice, obvious choice, and I'm, I'm very happy to have made it. I'm still pretty optimistic because uh, the people in Tasmania want it. I believe the AFL is really favourably disposed to it. Sal has done that much for football. I'd love to see him holding a premiership cup at 24th September this year. I really haven't got the words for it, but, you know, I love this club, always have, and understand that it's pretty special for the club too, so just going to enjoy the moment that it is. And momentous milestones and critical clashes headline the on-field as debate breaks in all different directions from trades to Tasmania throughout the week. We'll kick it all around in the Round 20 edition of Crunch Time.
If you're holding the view that the worth of Melbourne would reveal itself on a Friday night, that is precisely what happened in the West while Fremantle's fortunes appear to be flagging. The Friday night scores for Werribee Isuzu Ute. Upgrade your old Utes into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. It was a thumping win for the Demons. 12-13-85 over Fremantle. 5-9-39. And it flavours the first part of crunch time. Jared Waitley with you. Kane Corns is with me. Hello to you, Kane. Hello, Jared. Hello, crew. Yeah, what a statement performance it was. We'd been thinking it was coming for a, for a while now, but that was emphatic. It was very much the way that Melbourne play their best football. So there's a lot for a couple of other teams to think about after witnessing that, including um, Fremantle, who were really poor. Leon Cameron's in place. Hello, Leon. Jared, guys, how are you? What did you think of the Ds? Yeah, look, I mean, I think as Cornji just mentioned, I think we've sort of been waiting for it a little bit, and that's why people haven't been writing them off, even though they're, you know, they lost four or five out of the last seven. But just to win contests like they did and their defensive actions, I think Simon Goodwin's press conference was just summed it up. They were defensively so superior in all parts of the ground, and uh, what they did during the week, they need to bottle and, and, and put that into the next three weeks for the run home. Sam Edmund rounds out our quartet. Sam, your eye would have been taken by the Fremantle Guernsey with Jackson's number on it. But imagine today's conversation if Angus Brayshaw hadn't re-signed and all there was was that interview with Gary and Tim. He goes back into the midfield and stars. Now they play him in the midfield, Jared. A day after <coughs> signing the six-year deal, one that he agonised over, as he admitted in that interview, in part uh, over his playing role. Now he's let loose in the engine room and didn't he play beautifully in there as well. But we're in a new season now, aren't we? One where, like Chris Fagan says every week is a final and it was an assault last night they strangled the life out of them so it marries up Kane with where Melbourne sharpened up last year it happened in round 20 and it took them through a seven game winning streak they'd had the talk that much was really clear there was a commonality in the language coming out of Melbourne and Simon Goodwin said in the lead up to the game as a footy club it's time to get going and it was time. I mean, it was the energy for me. It was the, the inability for Fremantle to do anything. They couldn't transition the footy. It was Petty. It was May. It was Lever behind the ball and the record of those three when they play together. Uh, the midfield was, you know, I thought Oliver was, was down and Ace did a good job there, but Brayshaw went in, had an impact. Viney is just the most tenacious player in the game. We saw him make a statement against Brisbane a few weeks ago when Melbourne were also under pressure and it was one of the fiercest games I've ever seen. Last night was... Similar to that. So he was the best player on the ground. Fritch was back. Pickett's been building as well. So a lot of positive signs out of last night. I think Gorn is starting to look more dangerous forward, albeit he's lost a bit of um, continuity with his goal kicking. His technique is, is all at sea there. So he'd like to fix that up. But it was a, a, an emphatic performance to keep Fremantle to five goals, 40 inside 50s, and to not allow them to transition the ball at all. I think they had 390 disposals for those 40 entries. So they'd be thrilled and at not one point during that game did they look like they were going to be challenged. Leon, what's that week like as you would have had it a few times where you lay it all on the table and then I guess there's confidence you'll get the response but there'd be nothing quite like seeing it as a coach. Yeah, and you've got to be really specific knowing when to do it. And they clearly... They've gathered together during the week and challenged each other on where they were at, you know, after, you know, conceding 110 points last week against the Bulldogs. And we know where their last month or six weeks has been. So 
Simon Goodman would have probably thought, okay, this has to be the week. It's now, it's not next week, it's not the week after, it's too late. We're going into state, which helps when you go into state because you band together, we all know that. Um, and they just probably just that challenging conversations that uh, we're known for when you have such a significant victory. And, uh, you know, the defensive side of it and the, the ability to shut Fremantle down, 390 possessions, as you said, Kane, is just phenomenal to do what they've done. Um, and keep them to inside 50s at 40. And you mentioned Viney, um, Kane. He is underrated player, probably outside, but in to, inside the four walls of the AFL of the 18 clubs, he's not. And he's nasty. He is, <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to say that in a bad way. They have a mix in that midfield that complements Petrarca and Oliver, and Oliver was down a little bit last night, but he's an, he's an unbelievably ruthless player that those guys feed off, and uh, I thought he was outstanding last night. Leon, there's not many left. There's not many nasty ones left. I I admired your coaching because you weren't afraid to get in the face of the opposition. You knew when to do it with, with DeBoer and, and Green and others who were prepared to go after the opposition. Not a lot of teams do it. I think John Longmire is doing it really well at the moment, and Melbourne through Viney, yes, and... Darcy, I think, from Fremantle at times has done it. Why is that? Why, why are teams in their shell at the moment and not a, and too scared to get in the face of the opposition and disrupt what they're trying to do? Yeah, look, sometimes it can be bought on and it can be manufactured because of how you're tracking. You know, if you've had two or three poor weeks and say, right, oh boys, we've got to stand up for the jumper. We've got to stand up for our members. We've been poor on display Friday night. So that can naturally bring it out. But then you actually have to look around the room, Kane, and say, have we actually got people to do it? And there's an added element. We were talking about this last week about leadership, players with leadership, McVeigh, Selwood, Hodge, these sort of guys. They're, they're superstar players, but they've got fantastic leadership. Well, the other added part of it is you can have players that are very good players, but if you've got four or five, there's, there's a level of nastiness when the stakes are high, they normally stand up in these big games. And you only have to go through it. May in the back end, Viney, mm. those two, when put, you know, pushed into a corner, will come up come out throwing punches, not literally, but just they will put everything on the line. And when you have that, it just it gains so much momentum and you've clearly seen that amongst the players on the peripheral for Melbourne last night. Yeah, and I even think, like, even Petrarca's starting to get a little bit of that in him. He was uh, upset with the treatment from Darcy off the ball and you don't see him upset too often. I think Gorn does it in his own way and, and physically imposes himself on game. So they, they are... I mean, their reputation and their aura, particularly those players you mentioned, Oliver's got a bit of that as well. I mean, you start a couple of goals down by having that. Now, you talk to me about, like, Nick Haynes tossing the coin and things like that against the Bulldogs. Like, I so this is this is folklore sort of stuff that I, I love <laughs> and look back on. I wrote an article about it the other day. So when do you... That didn't work for you that night. I understand that, but I admire... Fell flat in my face, Simon. Yeah, but I admire, <laughs> the, I admire the fact that you tried to do it. I mean, as a coach, when do you try and pull these sort of levers and how much thought goes into it? Yeah, there is. And it's not as easy as what you think, like what we've seen on the weekend. Um, sorry, last night with, with the Ds. Again, you have to... And I was lucky enough to have Mumford and Green and Cameron and Sam Reid and Phil Davis. And so when you can cover all lines and you can sort of eyeball your players and say, boys, you know, I mentioned Matty DeBoer, you say, guys, we, we, we need to find an extra bit here now. Um, and, you know, it was well documented in the 19 final series run because we had we had to. We were on a hiding to nothing. Every game that we played, if we lost, we were out. And so we had to play on the edge. Unfortunately, we sort of got to that last week and... 
all, all the tickets were spent. So, but there's a fine line to do it. And you mentioned Sydney. I actually watching um, Sydney last week, and there there's a little bit of that mm. going on at the moment. They've got a nasty, you know, touch to their ball movement and the way they play. And I think it, you know, led by a young fellow um, who plays half forward, Clark. He's tagging the half back flankers, and it's doing it in a really good way and a really nasty way. So, yeah, there's. Because it can backfire, and you know you don't always get it right, but you've got to be brave and prepared to put yourself out there. But majority of the times, it can come off, and you'd mm. like to see it a little bit more. There's a couple of memorable ones: the qualifying oh. final against Sydney, which is the nearly the wildest game I reckon I've ever seen. And you brought steel chairs to that elimination final against the Bulldogs in '19, looking to extract a little bit of revenge from what had happened previously. Sorry, Leon, can we just get you on Nick Haynes the coin toss just once and for all? Can you clear that up for us? So obviously, I think you dismissed the speculation on the night, which we understand. But now that all that water's gone under the bridge, can you let us in a little bit on the ploy here? <laughs> oh, look, I think it was probably we went a little bit too far. It was actually actually just decided right at the end and it was actually Stephen Cornelio's first year as captain and so you know when we went out they said okay you want to take Haynes into the coin toss because of last year and all that sort of stuff so we got that wrong and I think we all put our hands up and said uh, at the time uh, as you said cocaine it, it can sometimes you know bite you in the bum and I think the Bulldogs come out and smashed us um, in that game um, and um, they won every indicator and and we were pushed to the side it was the opposite to the year before so we got it wrong and you got to put your hand up why do you think last night was the night that Angus Brayshaw went into the middle? So I'm, I'm sure the statistic was he hadn't been at a centre bounce attendance all season. And then he's there. He plays on his brother, which uh, was a tremendous dynamic between the two of them. I thought they were both excellent. Uh, and it does, it shows, he is such a natural midfielder, Leon. Yeah, he is. And look, he's got that element of leadership. I was rapt that he put, his, put pen to paper this week. I mean, he is a... A wonderful human being, but equally just a good pl- just as a good player. And what he does also is he adds that, you know, bit of grunt to his game and, and the ability to play back, mid, forward wing, wherever that may be, he's he's shown that over his journey so far. And um, for him to go in there, I think it probably helped with Harms out. Mm. Harms being out and probably you know, probably absorbs fifty or sixty percent of midfield time and, and so they probably thought, you know, oh, that's sent Hunt back to the half back flank. So that the positional change probably happened out of selection, but there's no doubt in the chat during the week there would have been a little bit, okay, brother v brother, here we go. Let's you know put our brand on the line, and and that's what they've done. And to have Brayshaw, Oliver, Petrarca, and Viney in the middle of the ground, and what you said came before, is is Brayshaw's can be nasty too. You're talking mm. about Viney, and you said Petrarca's at it, and Oliver as well. You've actually got four balls going pretty hard. It'll be interesting to see what they do next week if Harms comes back in, and do they keep this rolling momentum because that was their best win of the year. Yeah, all of that. I, yeah, I was surprised to see it because it's, I mean, it, it is strange to have a significant positional move at this stage of the year. We've seen it a bit across the board. The coaches a bit more willing to throw the magnets around. We've seen Craig McRae, you know, change up where Dacos is playing. I think Ginneman's gone on ball a little bit. We've seen Papley for Sydney attend, you know, he, I think he's their fourth highest centre bounce attendance player now with devastating results for Sydney. So, when you're just looking for something, like a bit of a boost, then that is an easy way to get it, a positional move. And, I mean, he was he was influential early as well. So he had eight in the first quarter, 28 for the game. I like him at halfback. I think he just gives you a bit more stability back there. But now that they have Petty and Rivers and Lever and May and they're all healthy and Harms was out, as Leon said, then 
that was the move and that was the time to do it. But from now, it will be interesting if they stay healthy. Their issues perhaps still with their forward line, like Wiedemann touched the ball once. Ben Brown's body is clearly letting him down and McDonald feels like he's five to six weeks away, Sam. So I'm not sure about their key forwards yet. In fact, I know I'm, I'm not sold on their key forwards at all and that's why Gorn may need to play a little bit more time forward and they're so reliant on Fritch. So that would be the one area. But when they bring that heat and that intensity, the forward half pressure, and they smack you at centre bounce and stoppage, then it's going to be a tough night. Yeah, you, you're right. I mean, Pickett, Fritch, Bargo, eight goals out of 12. You're right, Kane. You probably, you'd love to have, you know, two of your tools in there adding another four mm. goals to that. Um, and you can't rely on that. But I suppose the Melbourne way is, and you clearly see when, you know, Simon said last week about we, we haven't conceded 110 points for a long time last week. And so you knew that that defensive way, and the defensive way for Melbourne might be, okay, well, we, we're just going to keep sides under 60 because right now we don't have... McDonald and hopefully he comes back on the eve of the finals. I know there's talk that he might be back there, you know, just on the eve of the finals because he is a significant player that's missing, not just because of his run and his work rate, and clearly he can be some aerial support to Jackson or Gorn. So, you know, there's no doubt that that would be one concerning thing with their tools if they can get that right. But they, on the other hand, they might be saying that we are playing all out defence, we're going to keep sides under 50 60 because we're only going to kick 70 or 80 ourselves. Jared, I love the, their run home as well. So it's three top four sides, essentially, and another finalist in Carlton. So they knocked off Fremantle last night away from home. Significant. Collingwood at the MCG is going to be massive next week. Carlton at the MCG the week after, just as big, and then Brisbane at the Gabba. So it's, it's very nicely set up for them to hit this final series, having conquered a lot of significant tasks and also get themselves into good form. You do your seedings every Monday, Jared. How will you assess that performance last night and where Melbourne now sit? Yeah, they'll, they'll go right back to the pointy end of it, Kane. It was sort of the week to work out whether you were throw your, throwing your lot in with Melbourne, forecasting what these four weeks would look like, or, or whether you were prepared to doubt. Some were going a long way towards uh, dismissing mm. their credentials, which it, these things are all in the eye of the beholder. My question was, would Melbourne finally bring their best to counter teams who are measuring themselves against the defending champion. That's where I think they've been passive, and that's why they had a 2-5 record against teams who are in the eight at the moment. And you could see it in the first 30 seconds. We're not going to wait and absorb your best. We're coming straight at you, Fremantle. And for me, that was the sign, Leon, and I want to see them do it again against Collingwood and Carlton and Brisbane. My view was we will know about Melbourne by the time we get to the finals because their best is still the best. Mm. Yeah, and when when you're in the, the walls of a footy club and and Kane, you know, there's nothing worse than going through a year knowing that you're sort of sitting up around that top four and the outside world talk about your record against top eight sides. Because it just it seeps through the walls. In a good way if you're winning those battles in a bad way if you're not and so it was significant last night to knock over Fremantle who sit you know in that uh, fourth or fifth spot to say we need to start winning and as you alluded to before Kane the run home is all top eight sides and we're not talking about sides that are just there they're sides that are worthy contenders and have got you know genuine chances in that pointy end of the season so yeah, I think there's no doubt they stung into action with that chat and whatever that went in on in that room throughout the week or how they set it up, um, they'll want to bottle that and say, now is our turn. And, you know, clearly Simon Goodwin in his press conference afterwards was absolutely, you know, wrapped with the way they went about it. 
We'll talk Fremantle in a moment because there's a chance that they fall to seventh by the end of the round and they've got a tough assignment against the Bulldogs at Marvel next week. That They feel like that young team on the spike where winter takes a toll and they've got to try to pull it together at the end. Before we do, Luke Jackson, Sam, was the other sidelight to last night is what would it look like in the West. We saw the homemade jumper and Melbourne players took exception to that rather delightfully. Well, something was going to happen. I mean, I listened to Kate and you during the week, had a little giggle. Was it going to be Sean Darcy getting into him? Was it going to be the crowd cheering him like we saw with Paddy Dangerfield when he was at Adelaide and he came over to Geelong? What sort of reception was he going to get? In the end, it was the dangle jumper, number six, Jack and written on the back that Jake Melksham didn't like and then Christian Petraka followed up with shoving it further down the race. So um, he copped a whack to the head too, passed a concussion test, so that's all fine. But uh, the interview pre-game with Alan Richardson, I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later on. Uh, well, we might do that now, shall so we? So matter of fact though, wasn't yeah. it? About, I think that's the first time officially we've heard someone from Melbourne say the talks are, are off until the end of the year. We would have loved a commitment, of course. We haven't been able to get one. And where that takes you, obviously, is to that inevitable thought that, well, he might just be packing his bags for Fremantle at the end of the year. So here is Alan Richardson with his pre-game on AFL Nation last night. No, he, um, he'll wait till the end of the year, Hutto, and um, you know, he'll, he'll sit down with his manager and his family. Obviously, those conversations have been happening all the way through. We'd love him to, to have already committed. That hasn't happened, but uh, we respect that he's a young bloke and he, needs, he just wants to get the game and his footy out of the way. We all hope that it's but it goes really late for him, and um, and he and he ends up signing and committing to us. But um, you know we're unsure. We're we're really optimistic and hopeful. We know he loves his time here. He loves his teammates. His last couple of weeks have been his best footy, and we'll just have to wait and see on that one. So the concession that they're unsure and that's it's it's all off now till the end of the year. Now it, it's not impossible that the it player does resigns. It, it does happen. One in seven, one in eight. Yeah, it does happen uh, mathematically. But clearly, what 70, 80, 90 percent of players, if you're not signed by this point, then you, you're theoretically going. And and we've heard throughout the year, Fremantle's manoeuvring behind the scenes as well with a number of players that they've had out of contract. They either haven't offered deals for, they've been slow to offer deals to, and when they have landed, they've been on the underwhelming side of things. So that all points in the industry's uh, mind anyway towards a, a making of room for someone like Luke Jackson to come in. Kane, what's your read? Well, all of the, uh, you know, Liam Baker signed during the week and Brayshaw we've touched on. So there is the ones that sort of surprise you when you see they've put pen to paper. This one, I mean, there's there's so much noise around it. You'd be staggered if he did stay at Melbourne. How they would afford him, I don't even know, Melbourne. Like, how you could even go about matching what Fremantle are prepared to pay. I, I'm just not sold he helps Fremantle at all. Like, I, I think he, um, their, their overall issue is they haven't been able to replace Pavlich since 2016, and this is in no way going to help them do that. So we can get to Fremantle a little bit later on in the show if you'd like to, but they've got concerns about the key forwards that they've got down there. Um, Fife, they would have hoped, could have been that third tall, but they can't rely on his body. Tabner's had under five touches the last two weeks and hasn't looked like it. They've been forced to play Logue down there as a, a band-aid option in the forward line. So how does Luke Jackson help? What it Was Darcy going to play forward, is he? So I, just, I don't know, because Luke Jackson just isn't a forward. We see it again last night. He, he's got no forward craft whatsoever. I don't want to downplay uh, his upside and where he can get to as a ruckman and as a mobile midfielder, but he's not a forward. So I'm just not sure what Fremantle's plans are to have a forward structure that's going to work next year if they want to be in that top four range. Yeah, it's it's you're right. It's really intriguing, and I think look, well done to to Richo to answer it in the in the manner 
where Melbourne see that see it as well because you know clearly in a footy club the last thing you want is is this external pressure building up on a player um, that might be leaving or he might be staying and clearly he's a big fish and you know what what everything you're talking about is you know is true about it it's a big offer to go back home all this sort of stuff so Melbourne come out in the front foot and said look you know they, they've tried to try to get the signature it hasn't worked um, they'll have to wait to the end of the year to see what happens and we've been in that situation when I was at the Giants you know you're waiting for Kelly and Hopper and these guys and a lot of them end up signing because they want to wait until the season finishes but equally they've got lots of that go home factor in front of them so you know it's a big challenge for Melbourne but uh, it is an interesting one because you know does he go over there to become the the best ruckman because it's great having it's sort of like anything you can have you don't want two unbelievably A-plus ruckmen if one of them's playing 75-80% in the ruck and one's playing 25%. And that's the conundrum when you are trying to get some player to your footy club to say, OK, where does he fit in? Is Darcy going to go forward more? You know, Clearly we know he's a wonderful ruckman and, a wonderful, and he's in his prime. He's coming into his absolute prime to be the, one of the best ruckmen for the next four or five years. So it's, a, it's an intriguing one, especially if, the, if you're talking about those figures, to get a forward in like that. You probably would much rather go, OK, we're chasing a Cameron or a Hawkins in his prime or a Franklin. Because um, you know that they're absolutely A-grade players mm. when they're in the front end. Yeah, so they picked a young kid called Jai Miss with pick eight, I think, last year. He's played one game, Sam, and who knows? Like, they would hope, but it's not going to be next year. And if their time is now, then oh, what's their forward six start round one next year, Freeman? Well, I, I actually don't know. Tabner's probably there, but he's probably not playing the way that the modern forward is playing with his um, inability to, to get up the ground and impact there as well. And then Darcy's just signed a two-year contract extension. He's not going to play forward. So why does Gorn and Jackson work? So the, the counter view would be, well, how come Melbourne could get it to work with two genuine ruckmans? Because Gorn's a bit more flexible. Like, he, he actually looks threatening forward. He's excellent behind the ball. And he's a bit more mobile than what Sean Darcy is. He's a very athletic ruckman, whereas Darcy's more just your, your bash and crash sort of in and around the Shane Mumford type of cause carnage and around that little phone box area. But outside of that... He's not great. Now, Gorn's got a massive engine and can impact all over the ground. So, look, maybe it was just he was too good, Jared. I know you're a big fan of, of Jackson, as a lot of people are. I think, Sam, you're in the same category. Maybe just good player, wants to come home. you just got to make it work somehow. And then we'll worry about the rest of it later in the off-season. But, yeah, I've got my um, concerns about how he fits in and what it does to Sean Darcy. Yeah, no, I'm in that camp. I'd be waiting two years. Mm. If I was in conversation with Luke, I'd say sign two years at Melbourne and we'll pick this up again. What if you're free man or you say yeah, hundred percent? I'm not paying him a million dollars next year. You might be paying him one point five million. That's two okay. Years. Maybe one point eight because he'll be a revealed product by then and know where to fit. I don't think it'll ever get to that number. No, but you know, you, yeah, I, I, you're you going to be paying if, more. if the number's one point two million. You'll get him in two years' time for one point two million. Um, but if I was a third club, I would be all over Darcy. Same. Trying to disrupt all of that. Going, mate, what do you think is going to happen next year? Mm. They're going to pay him $1.2 million, which is half a million more than you're earning, and you're going to have to share your time. You might be about to become the All-Australian Ruckman. Come and play with us, and you can play 85% in the rack. I would be all <laughs> over him if I was another club. Jared, you need to be in list management. <laughs> what do you reckon? Get off the medium of training, Ruthless. mate, and on to list <laughs> well, management. But, so that's the thing, though. So if you're Melbourne, you go, well, we want Hayden Young, we want Darcy, and we want a second-round pick. And Freeman will go, you're kidding. We're not giving you Hayden Young. Well, you have to. Like, you want 
one of the best young prospects in the game, someone who pick, we pick with pick three, you got to give us young and you got to give us extra and something else. And so how they get a deal done is also fascinating as well. Let's pick up the Fremantle conversation for the here and the now. They are a team on the slide. Can it be arrested? You're listening to Crunch Time, our Friday night footy discussion for Werribee Isuzu Utes. They make buying cars easy. award-winning crunch time. We continue our Friday night breakdown for Werribee Isuzu. Upgrade your old ute into D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. Fremantle's predicament at the buy, they were 10-3. and three. They were third on the ladder, but they had a share of top spot. Since that pause, they lost to Carlton, beat Port Adelaide and St Kilda, lost to Sydney, drew with Richmond and lost to Melbourne. Their game is nowhere near in the order. It was the most promising stages. They've lost four at home. And the sense of urgency for Justin Longmuir was very clear in the post-match last night. We need to get to work. We're not as consistent with our roles as we were early in the season. Some players have dropped their form and our contest isn't as, as even as it was early in the year. So, <clears throat> yeah, we've got some work to do. Yeah, I just think they, they brought a stronger method as well. You know, when we were able to, when we won our contests, our know, handballs didn't take us anywhere. And when they won their contests, they, yeah, they got on the outside of us way too easily. So, yeah, like, like I've said, we've got some work to do. We aren't in the form we'd like to be in. Um, you know, we aren't in the form we were in early in the season. You know, we need to be more consistent in games. We need to have more players executing their role and we need to be more consistent across the board in the contest. We just, we're just relying on too, on too few at the moment. Matt Hatton has been out of form for a while now. What do you do about that? Just keep working with him. Uh, we need to get him up and going. He's not on his own though, so yeah, we've just got a few guys across the board that are down on their form and haven't, you know, recaptured or recaptured the form they're in early in the season. So, um, you know, we've been having some good performances at Peel as well. So they play tomorrow. We need to have a good look at that. Yeah, we need, we need to get a more even balance across the board. They're grasping at it, and now if, if things run a certain way, they'd be seventh at the end of the round with a trip to Melbourne to face the Bulldogs, Leon. What's that like when you're desperately trying to recapture something that was there not that long ago? Yeah, you said mention it. It's a classic case of fatigue for a young team, which people don't like to hear, and there's no excuses. But you can clearly see that there's a bit of fatigue in the team, and... Um, and then that leads to either, you know, the belief that where we're at. And so when all of a sudden you start losing at home, and you mentioned four go games that they've lost at home, you start then questioning the things that you probably weren't questioning earlier in the year. So they've got to be able to deal with that, and, and Freo will have to, you know, freshen them up and, and have some, you know, some good, honest chats throughout the week. A little bit like Melbourne. I know they're not in Melbourne's category after what we've seen last night, but a little bit like Melbourne, just a, that good, honest, conversation you know between your forwards backs and your mids what are we doing wrong what aren't we doing what's our effort like our you know why are we inconsistent so that needs to happen really quickly and they get a, a wonderful chance they play well away they play well on the road it's it's the freo it's not the freo of old when they didn't play well on the road they go to the bulldogs next week and they got a huge chance to to not salvage the seasons just to get back on track because you know, ten or you know, five or six weeks ago, we were talking about them as a genuine top four, and you can't, you know, all of a sudden now we can't, you know, we need to find a way to get back in there because their midfield's still functioning okay. Uh, their midfield's functioning, but you said 
before Kane. Their tools in the front end in Tabernacle and Lobb are just probably not getting it done, and none of them hit the scoreboard last night. So he needs to keep persisting in that, and whether or not he looks at someone and adds someone from from Peel's game, Peel's game today, and and just to you know uh, you know freshen it up a little bit in that forward line. I don't know who that could be. Maybe Tracy or as a third tall or someone else, but. Yeah, they've got some challenges, um, but they need to find a way to freshen up and probably one of the, it's their first final next week against the Bulldogs away. Yeah, unfortunately they're probably out of the genuine premiership race. It's going to be really difficult. Well, no one's going to win it from outside the top four and particularly if you, you live in Perth, I, I don't I don't think. I don't, so I don't see them winning a premiership now as I probably thought they were capable of after some of the footy that we'd seen them play including beating Melbourne earlier on in the year when they certainly were in that category. Their, their inability to move the football is really deflating as a player out there when you you know you're getting your hands on it, but you know you're going nowhere and the crowd's frustrated and all you see is three Melbourne players behind the ball and you've got no option but to kick it to them. So they went into their shell a little bit. They I think they overhandle the footy. They Last week they did the same against Richmond. They definitely overhandle and invite that pressure and give it to someone else, and it's it's your problem, it's not mine. Their midfielders aren't as, as damaging as they were. Like, Brody had a lot of the footy last night, 35, but I didn't think he had an impact on the game at all. Love Brayshaw, love Sarong, love Darcy, but they just feel one or two midfielders short in there, and they're very similar. They're very dour, you know, running, you know, grunt, contested winning players, but they don't have probably the class on the outside and they handball a lot and then yeah the forwards are an issue so I do like their back line I think they I think they defend really well and their individuals back there are I still think underrated Ryan's underrated Young's a gun uh, Brennan Cox is a good player Pierce is a good player albeit he was beaten in a couple of one-on-ones last night so I, re- I think they're really stable behind the footy and they have everything behind the ball but forward of centre they just lack um, a key target and probably that real class crummer like a Charlie Cameron type that they've got a lot of you know, Frederick and Schultz and Collier and these types but none of them with the, the real finishing class and we saw them miss you know, a number of easy opportunities last night as well. Tabana is just on the cusp of becoming the whipping boy and, and certainly the crowd reaction to him in the last quarter when he finally got into it but he is emblematic of a, of a lack of competitiveness up forward. The number of times he got outmarked, he couldn't bring the ball to ground. He's not in the sort of form clearly to be a focal point. What's the balance like, Leon, between uh, dragging him back to form or sending him back to try to find it really late in the season? Oh, look, I think he has to persist with him. Um, look, with just knowing him from afar and looking him from afar, him and Lob are, are not your extroverted characters. And so when you you are under the pump and things aren't going as well as they were in the first part of the year, trying to screw your guts up and fighting your way out of it. We talked about the Viney scenario. I mean, and, and, and that's, you know, when Fife went down last week with a hamstring, it, it does two things. One is clearly he's not out there. But two, he's normally standing beside them, providing a contest and looking to the right and to the left and say, hey, screw your guts up, let's get this done. Yep, there's, you know, we're dealing with Petty, we're dealing with May, we're dealing with Lever. All I need you to do is bring the ball to the ground. And so having someone with genuine leadership, and Walters is probably that player there, but Fife, you know, being, you know, the standing in the game and the ability to challenge players is probably lacking a bit. So then that adds another 
element to Tabiner's struggles as well. And so when you're talking about a whipping boy and your crowd starts to have the Bronx cheers when you you know take a mark or something like that, that's a that's a tough thing to deal with individually for a player. But if I'm sitting there, I'd absolutely be sticking with him. He's his best is good enough, but he definitely needs someone to be riding beside him to just keep him pumping him through that confidence to get over that hump. And uh, I think it's too late in the season to put him back into the into the twos just to get a you know an easy kill just to come back into the they desperately need him next week against the Bulldogs who have traditionally struggled against some really tall forwards yep they go Bulldogs West Coast and the Giants to finish so they're 12 and a half wins which I think is enough of a buffer but uh, one more win to make it safe they, they could very well end up in seventh and playing a final potentially here at the MCG against one of the one of the really big clubs. So we'll wait to see on Fremantle's fate. One more Sam out of last night, which was added adds to our catalogue of the, the high tackle debate. Well, it was a free kick to a jack, just not the jack that a lot of people are pining to get the free kicks for. They were back in vogue last night. The Jack Viney incident didn't that split them in half last night when he was collared high by Alex Pierce. I wondered where the two gentlemen, where all three, four of us thought that sat last night, Jerry. Did he drop? Did he not drop? Should it have been a high? I'm totally confused at the moment. Well, he got I, the high for good measure, yeah. but that didn't appease many people at all. Right, right. In real time, if if Pierce attacks that tackling contest with a, either a swinging arm or a stiff arm high, you are highly likely to give that free kick away under the focus on the ball winner. Mm. So Jack Ginnivan's not getting those free kicks. Nope. This, this whole thing is a lightning rod for one player rather than the overall principle. I want that paid every time. Yeah, yeah. Do better, Alex Pierce. It's microscopic, the drop, isn't it? I mean, we can't expect umpires to be adjudicating when the margins are that far, can we? I mean, he was taken on. Leon? Responsibility of the tackler, I still... And you're right, I mean, we are umpiring young Jack uh, a little bit differently. I know there's been a lot of discussion about it, but the responsibility still comes on the tackler. Um, and, you, 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 Sam, you can't... An umpire can't judge whether he's just dropped a centimetre or two from his knees... You've got to come in expecting to go low. You have to expect to go low. Now, if it's a significant drop, and you can see that, and your tackle is in really good, your technique's great, then holding the ball every day of the week, that's your prior. That's your prior opportunity. But if you can spin out and use that manoeuvre, players have been doing it forever and a day. It just gets exacerbated at the moment because of what we're discussing with young Jack. Kane? It was the similar one to last week. It looked it looked like a free kick every day, and then the first contact was with the shoulder, but then the second part of it went high. So it was the similar discussion with the one with Ginnivan, albeit that one from um, Redmond was much more violent than the one on Pierce. But that, that that's a free kick because the arm goes above the shoulder and nearly takes his takes his neck off. But the initial contact was with the arm. I thought it was good umpiring, and I'd expect all of them to be paid from now on. All the ones like that have to be paid. Yes. Oh, well, we'll find the out the next couple today. of days. Yes, <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens this afternoon. Uh, we'll broaden our discussion to the issues of the week. The race for Alistair Clarkson right at the peak of that. Then the fortunes of a few teams. What's Luke Beveridge doing? Dropping Alex Keith and Michael Voss has dropped Jack Silvani. Hanabry's coming back for the Saints. There are milestones aplenty. There's furious debate over the medical sub-future. Tasmania's week and Chris Fagan, who is prickly, prickly, over questions of the Lions record at the MCG. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Isuzu Utes. They make buying cars easy. The 
award-winning Crunch Time. It is the round 20 edition of Crunch Time. Leon Cameron and Kane Corns in place. Jared Waitley and Sam Edmonds with you as we start to explore the broader issues across the footy landscape. And a frisson of excitement there was as Alistair Clarkson started to take his meetings. There's nothing quite like the car park shots after he had met with the Giants. And there's an exuding confidence out of North Melbourne that they could land him. Leon, what are you making of the race for Clarko? It's, it's, it's wonderful theatre, isn't it? Um, yes. Look... Look, he, <clears throat> I mean, clearly he's back from his overseas stint as well. And, and you know, I think uh, when you had interviewed him, was it last Friday, Jared? Yep. About a week ago. And and for that 45 minutes that you listened to his passion to be in the game, you understand why <clears throat> he's, you know, he's a highly sought-after coach. He's He does his research on everything to, to improve his coaching, his ability to lead uh, an organisation. So when he goes on these overseas tours all the time, it's all to better himself for his next opportunity. And so what we're seeing is real. I mean, he will be absolutely looking at, you know, clearly the both clubs. And, um, you know, there's always great debate which club should chase him the hardest, who can get in the best offer, who should he jump to, all that sort of stuff. But... You know, they've noticed the Giants has hooked up with him two or three times, and they and so they should. He's a he's a genuine, very very good coach. Four flags in the last ten or twelve years, and you know you you, you then weigh up their list as you said, Kane. And clearly the Giants list is is ahead of the you know, the Kangaroos at this stage. But is it the unbelievable you know uh, romantic return to to the Kangaroos because of where he started and he was so loyal as a player? Um, and can he can he get them out of the issues that they confront at the moment? But it's real and it's good to listen to. And um, in the end, it'll be interesting to see which one he he chooses. But as he said last Friday, Jared, it's not him choosing; it's the club choosing him, and um, he'll be real on that. There's a bit of debate about the Giants' list, Leon. Some say rebuild, some say reset, some say middle of the road. What's your view on where the list is at? for someone like Alistair Clarkson to go in and can they bounce back up quickly or is it going to take a little bit longer? Yeah, I was really interested in, in when Bucks finished at the end of last year and he said that the Collingwood um, would bounce really quickly. Um, and he's right. He's absolutely right. And um, for whatever reason, you're always going to weigh up. Is that because, you know, something happened? Did he get the best out of the club that year? The previous couple of years, he was in a grand final prelim. And, and there's always that debate um, I, I'm, I'm very bullish about they'll bounce. Whether they can bounce as quick as what Collingwood has, has, has got to bounce, they're set in their back line. They've got an unbelievably superstar in Sam Taylor down there. We've seen what Timmelberg's done down there. And they've got some really good running backs. So their back line's no issue. Their mid, midfield, inside's no issue. Um, their wings they're building on. Clearly there's a ruck issue at the moment because the inconsistency of you know Flynn and, and Proust, there's... there's plenty of ability they've just got to be able to put it together so that's an area that needs either some fast tracking or fixing but it's in their front end where they just need to acquire some more talent there and if they acquire that overnight in the in the draft or the trade period and add one two or three smalls or medium tall to add to Hogan and Green and and the like down there um, then all of a sudden they could definitely be back up in the march and um, so I, I'm I'm bullish about them Kane I think that if you're absolutely just lining up the two lists, the Giants are probably two years in front of the Kangaroos, and um, and they're young enough. They're young. It's not as if it's an old list because there's probably going to be one or two retirees at the end of the year. 
they've got a lot of young talent that probably we haven't even seen in Ryan Angwin, Finn Callahan. we've seen a little bit of. I mean, these are high draft picks, highly skillful players that are absolutely waiting for their opportunity. And when the new coach comes in, whoever that may be, you know, they're going to show what they you know, what they can do. I think the other thing, Jared, is complicating matters for North Melbourne is that they've just had an external review done. And we're still told we're going to get a summary of the findings there from Jeff Walsh's review that we haven't. We don't know the timeline for that. So I, I think that hovers over North Melbourne to some degree. And when James Henderson uh, met with North Melbourne at Blundstone Arena recently, I'm told that the conversation revolved a, a bit around North Melbourne saying, you know, do, do we appeal to you as a, as, a, as a club of choice? And what would we need to do to perhaps make the job attractive for you? So there was the conversations all around that as North Melbourne no doubt have some work to do and some corrections to make off field as well I think before they even get to the point where Alistair Clarkson potentially for them signs on the dotted line. So there's a there's an element North Melbourne is going for Clarkson and then and then they'll do the rest from there which I'm absolutely supportive of that as a strategy let that run its course and um, there is so they're they're all in though their hearts are all in they're going to be broken in half if he chooses not to come there and they are dealing with i mean in terms of it's different at gws from what we're told and dave matthews has been on the record of saying we've met with a b c and d that's not the case at north melbourne they're meeting with a and then they want to meet with a again and then they want to sit down with a again and there is no B at the moment. So until A says... A, C. That's right. Until A says no, then they work their way down the alphabet. But at the moment, it's A. But there is... So you're detecting a level of confidence from North Melbourne people. Now, whether they should be feeling it or not... That's true. Yeah. <laughs> they are they're oh, totally wedded to it. Absolutely. No, they're really optimistic, and it'll happen sooner rather than later. And look, that's great. I mean, you're never going to begrudge the optimism, but the rumour mill is so rife at the moment, Jared. I mean, reports that he'd signed yesterday coming from people really well connected with North Melbourne as well. Not the case. Okay, we'll call off the hands again. So we're going to get this. We always get this whenever a, a, a club changes coach, especially with someone of the magnitude of Alistair Clarkson waiting in the wings. Kane, if you were the CEO of the Kangaroos, would you be going about it the same way as what it seems to be what North Melbourne are doing at the moment? I think I would. I think they need Clarkson more than the Giants need Clarkson because of what what else he gives you. He instantly makes you relevant. Automatically you get perhaps a Cam Zerha stay staying. Jason or Francis might be a bit more prone to stay. The recruitment of staff, you know, the, the list manager from the assistant coaches, from everyone else that he potentially could bring and then other players from outside as well. So I think North need him more. So yeah, he would be my priority but I'd want to have a backup plan. So I, you'd want to not have all your eggs because I'd be like yeah, it's a it's a long shot that he's going to that's how I'd be feeling it's, I'd be saying it's a long shot he's going to come and join us with where we're at and he's spoken that he wants to instantly win that's not going to really happen with us so there needs to be not just plan A Sam as you said B, C, D and E I would have thought I suppose B, C, D and E aren't going anywhere though are they I mean they're, they're there there's one other club at the moment in the market for a coach Jared. so those, those options are going to be there aren't they? I mean if we're talking about levels of competition for, for Alistair Clarkson at the moment we it's a two horse race yeah I guess so so B Ross Lyons C Don Pike yeah. D Leon Cameron and, and all and yeah and then all <laughs> the assistants who are untried geez Jared, you had me down there at, I thought you had me at Z about uh, eight weeks ago <laughs> yeah, when it? we were two and seven so <laughs> <laughs> hey, so the one other element to it, who knows how these things become public, but who did it serve that it was known that he met with the Giants on uh, Wednesday? Well, everyone knew. 
Seven yeah. new, nine new. The Herald Sun. So that new. doesn't happen by accident. How many doorstops did Dave Matthews do? Did did it, Jared? it did. So yeah. this is the moment, Kane, where if you're wavering at all around what your strategy is, it's time to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, are we going after him or not? Mm. So there's mm. two declared, and the events of this week, I think, privately flush out the rest. What are, what are we doing? Because if we don't get in this conversation, it'll be over before yeah. we get to the point of moving on our guy. So I think there's a little bit more to play Can out. I just quickly ask, I know up against it, Tom was, are they seeking to potentially, in your mind, smoke out a couple of other clubs that perhaps uh, don't have a vacancy? Well, if anyone else has come into the table, here are the seats. The yeah. game is afoot. Chips in. West Coast interests me. I know we're out of time, but maybe a watch on them. Crunch time. Welcome to Crunch Time. Round 20, time to sharpen up. Melbourne gave us a powerful case study of that last night in the West. And so we look to the rest of the competition now. What are coaches doing? Why did Luke Beveridge drop Alex Keith? When they're coming up against Hawkins and Cameron, why did Michael Voss drop Jack Silvani? Dan Hanabry is back for the Saints. There are tremendous milestones, Joel Silwood and Shane Edwards. But I feel like right at the forefront of this are the Brisbane Lions and Chris Fagan, well, was he prickly about setting the terms for the Lions as they come to the MCG looking to break a drought, which dates to 2014. He's heard it all. He's read it all. He knows what we're framing for them as they come here tomorrow to face Richmond at the home of football. We're not playing the MCG. We're playing Richmond. And the reason why we haven't won at the MCG the last few years is because when we've played there, we haven't played well enough against the team we're playing against. Um, and it's as simple as that. That's how, how we see it. And I don't know that you can look at it any other way. I just find all this stuff, like, I, I understand it's about setting up the story. So the story on Monday will be, if the Lions win, you can win the flag because you won at the MCG. And if we lose, you can't win the flag because you can't win at the MCG. That's how to roll, and we all understand that. And we fully embrace the fact that we haven't won at the MCG, and we're trying like hell to win there on the weekend, and that's our goal. But if we don't, that won't stop us from trying to achieve the ultimate this year. It's as simple as that. He's pulling back the curtain, Sam Edmund. He's taking all our tricks away. I love it. He, I watched this. He fronted up to his press conference. He was waiting for the punch to be thrown. And when it was thrown, straight off the bat, mind you, he went, I, I ran the clock on this, a three-minute monologue on the MCG uh, without drawing breath. So that shows you where he's at with it. So the, the data says that... The, their last win here was 2014. Now, that's only 10 games ago. They don't play here all that often. But some big losses in recent times as well. The 10-goal loss to Melbourne most recently. So they've beaten Richmond the last time here in 2009, I think it was. They haven't beaten Richmond in Melbourne since 2009. So we're not playing the MCG. We're playing Richmond, Jared. But clearly, there's only one way it goes away. Just just win here, Leon, I'd assume. Yeah, look, I, we, we, we confronted... Uh, this, uh, I think we won in 2014 as a young team, but what actually happens is, and the Lions before Fags has taken them to, to multiple final series and, and high ladder finishes in the last three years, they probably weren't good enough to win at the MCG or good enough to win in most spots. And so what happens is this accumulation happens and they've probably lost seven or eight games out of that ten where there were probably no chance. Let's be totally honest. 
And so then when it comes around, it gets you and it says, you're in a sort of a, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. How do you confront it? I mean, we confronted it leading into the Melbourne game. I think it was in 19. We, we constantly kept losing at the MCG. I think we lost five or six. There was a storyline. The Giants can't yeah. play at the MCG. If they don't win, they're da-da-da-da. And we, so we confronted it. We said, we need, this is, it's on. We're not walking off this ground unless we win the game. And we played a really good brand. We won the footy, won, won, won the MCG that game. And there was a lot, there's, clearly there was a weight off our shoulders. But I understand Fags is probably trying to stay away from it as well because of he doesn't want his players to go into that shock mode of, oh, God, here we go again. And so that it's added pressure that they don't need. So it's, there's, you can go either way. And, um, but hopefully they can you know, win the game and then move on from there. So that's really calculated, Leon. When you run that, okay, we're not walking off without winning here, do you, do you let yourself weigh up, what happens if we don't get this done, or do you have to just shut that out? Oh, look, there's, there's times, as you know, you mentioned before, you either fall flat in your face or it looks great. Um, there's no in-between. and um, and But that's the business we're in. It's, it is what it is. You, you, you're lucky enough to be in the position uh, as a senior coach or a player, and you're out there, and we're in the we're in the eye of uh, of the public, and we're and and we're there to perform every weekend and play the game in the best possible way. And then there'll be a storyline to each team, regardless. And so we know that. So you're right. I mean, sometimes you can fall flat in your face, but sometimes you've just got to absolutely throw yourselves out there. And we we. You know, we went to great lengths that week. There was a, you know, a different dinner. I think on the Saturday night before the Sunday game, the warm up was just a touch different. And then we we <laughs> were lucky enough to salute, and and everyone thinks it's a fantastic result. And 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 from there, we got a little bit of confidence. I think we won our next two or three at the MCG. So it does help, but it's. Um, yeah, it's a really tough one to deal with, and no doubt it, you can get a bit prickly. I remember I got a bit prickly when we were losing there. So um, I suppose that's what coaching does to you. I'm glad he's prickly, Kane, because this is a big, big day. So the, I don't think the recent records. So they've only pl- they played twice in 2019, once in 2020, yeah. and once in 2022. They haven't been here because of COVID reasons. But the mm. last time they were here, they were dismal against Melbourne. They got beaten by 64 points. Far less the ge- geography and much more the occasion. If they can't beat Richmond, who come into this round in 10th place and are hugely vulnerable at the MCG, they're not winning the flag. Well, they're going to what, exist yeah. somewhere in the top end. This is a team that's lost five out of six finals while living in the top four. Show us what you're worth. Come yeah. out and win on Sunday and prove it to us. Yeah, you couldn't have said it any better. I mean, that, that was going to be my point. To take the MCG out of it, you just you just win this game. Like, just pound for pound, you, you win this game of football. I mean, Richmond are just going, like, just going, and they've got challenges everywhere so if if Brisbane's young midfield can't get a hold of the names that Richmond have got in there and then you look forward of the ball and what what is Nan Curvis going to play forward again this week so Tom Lynch is back but what sort of shape will he be in so you just have to you just have to win this game of footy they have a lot more weapons in their lineup than what Richmond have done yeah I, it's a bit funny with the with the grounds because they've only played there twice this year and I mean if, if it's Richmond not able to win at the Gabba we don't talk about it much at all it's just the fact that the MCG is where the grand final is held so I'd be saying to Brisbane let's just get ourselves in a top two position and don't have to worry about playing on the MCG until grand final week and we'll deal with it then that's the way I'd be 
addressing it. But your point is they are much better side on paper than what Richmond are. They have a lot more weapons in their lineup, and they just have to win this game of footy. Otherwise, we'll continue not to take them that seriously. Yeah, so come roaring back up the charts. That's what I'm looking for. What's Luke Beveridge doing dropping Alex Keith tonight, Leon? Yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, you only know if you're in inside that camp, and maybe he could be carrying some injuries. Maybe he's you know struggling. He clearly they're looking at the game a lot closer than what we are, and 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 so you know Bevo's not you know scared to make any calls on his players. And I you know I think someone wrote an article during the week and said who he, who he hasn't dropped, and clearly Bontempelli <laughs> was in that piece. So that's uh, he's got that one right, but. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's the only one that knows. In line with the backline coach, uh, Rowan Smith, they would be discussing it and throwing it up. But on, on, a, on a weekend when you're coming up against Hawkins and Cameron, it's a big call. Clearly, Cordy's been in really good form. He's, he's called on him a number of times over the last seven or eight years, and he's been that Mr. Fix-It, whether it be Ford, makeshift ruck or key defence. They've probably waited up and say, well, if Keith is sort of struggling a little bit and Cordy's in better nick, we need to go down that path. But... It's a huge one, but again, it's like anything. When you're coaching and you're in that position, it's fascinating because you live and die by the sword. That's what happens. If if, if Cordy comes out and plays a really good game and quells Cameron and the dogs get up, which I give them a genuine chance down there, then we'll be going, what a genius Bevo is. Mm. So I'm curious what the balance is in your mind, Leon, in a moment like that. There's, there's clearly hunch and intuition, and then there's... Yes consistency and structure for the team itself not for the outside but for the team itself this is how we like to line up these are our key planks he's clearly one of their key planks so it's a big thing it feels like a big thing to do he is playing the intuition rather than the consistency of the these are our pillars yeah yeah it is i mean you want especially you know, right at the back end of the year when you're trying to make a run, and we, we you know, we think the dogs after last week were fantastic. They're they're going to make a run, so it is a shock selection looking from afar. But unless you know what's happened, you know he might be struggling a little bit mentally wise or whatever that may be. His, his body's not holding up as much. Uh, you know, sometimes you just need a lesser game or an easier kill to get back up and running. So. It's a hard one to comment, other than it is a shock for us because we don't know. But we're going to find out. We're going to find out tonight, um, and uh, and see where that sits. Because um, you know, Cordy has bobbed up and played some really good footy at times, although in some patches here and there. But if he delivers a really good game tonight, then again, Bevo could be a genius, and the mm. dogs could get the the result. I'm more interested that Josh Bruce stayed in as well. Like I, I think I, that's a, I think that's a risk in itself. He's touched the footy, I, I think, once and twice the last two weeks. Doesn't look like it. Yeah, I, I was surprised they stayed with him, particularly with Hugo Hagen's improved form. I think it's a. It, you're right there, and probably that goes against what I probably just spoke about a couple of minutes ago. Is you want consistency, and they're probably willing. Brucey over the line at the moment. Yeah. Kane to go, okay, can we just give him one more? Can yeah. we just get him up from five positions to eight or nine? No doubt. There's that crash of the pack. I mean, it takes a while. We know you know, he's come off a knee injury. But clearly, if you're talking about a little bit of that um, nastiness, Brucey's actually got a little bit of that, knowing him from the Giants days. He's, he's a competitor and he's got a big motor and he works hard. So he might be doing things that we're not seeing to allow Hugo Hagen to allow Norton to be the players that they are going to be. And in the whole scheme of things, if he gets Bruce up and running, big upside. and hopefully he does, then all of a sudden he might have more flexibility with Norton.
Mm. And so Norton might be able to be able to play a bit of swing role. You know, he might go back. You know, we know he can play back as well. He's such a good player. So I, I can see that as a real important cog for the Bulldogs if they're to get somewhere this year. And maybe the domino effect, Jared, is that. Okay, he's having a quiet game himself, but if it allows Jamari Hagen to get off the chain and do what he does, then maybe it's worth parking him there and, and he, he buys himself a little bit more time. Just with Zane Cordy, I mean, that's a massive ask. He's coming, He hasn't played since round 10, and I know as Leon um, says, he's done it on occasion, but when you look into the matchups, they played in round 12. It was a 13-point loss, and Jeremy Cameron kicked six in that game, a lot of them on Alex Keith. So clearly mobility was an issue. So they've gone for Cordy, back Gardner in on, on Tom Hawkins. But um, it's a big, even by Luke Beveridge standards, with the finals on the line down there, it's a massive call, isn't it? We love it. Kane, what did you think, Michael Voss dropping Jack Silvani? Yeah, I wasn't as upset by it as some Carlton fans were. Pitnet comes back. De Koning gives you that flexibility forward and ruck. So uh, I love that we get to see him forward with the other two there for a little bit. And I think if it was, what I ask is if it was a big elimination final at the MCG, say Carlton versus Collingwood, Silvani play or would Motlop play? I'd probably pick Silvani. That, that's how I would answer the question. So I wonder why he's done it now. Um, he's obviously seen something. Pl- They're completely they different, different players. Pl- 100%, 100%, 100%, yeah. 100% they are, but you're still making the call. Who, who gives you the best chance to win? Is it Silvani with the flexibility that he's got, or is it Motlop? In a big final, who are you picking, Sam? If you, if you had to make the call out of those two, I know they're different positions, but there's only 22 spots. Which well, way are you think- going to go? I think Jack Silvani's a victim of circumstance, which which is concerning for him in more ways than if he was out of form. Because how does he? He's going to have to bludgeon his way back into that side because they love what the Koning's done in the ruck. He's going to chop out the ruck now and get a fatiguing ruckman potentially on the back end of Mark Pitnett coming in. And you station him in a forward line with Mackay and Kerno and three smalls. I actually think it's the best Carlton side that they've named for for months. But they they have to they have to try this. They have to go down this path leading into finals because Pitney's your absolute big soldier that you want to see whether or not he's come back from his injury. Finals will slow down a little bit. It'll be more bash and crash. It'll be more stoppages. That's what happens. And so they have to see if they can get this up and running. And clearly De Koning has had a wonderful last probably, you know, two months. But him coming in when um, Pitney does, you know, 70% of the ruck and we know what he can do in there, I think they have to do this. I think it's a really good point, though, you make, Kane, about, you know, a young Motlop or um, Silvani. And who are you picking when the whips are cracking in a huge game? And right now they are two totally different players. And my take is I would take Silvani because of what you already know and his flexibility. If you lose a ruck, he know he knows he goes into the ruck. If you lose a key back, you know he can go. He's got more mm. flexibility. Um, if they're you know their small forwards are getting a job, do you need three? Can you get away with two, knowing that your twenty second man can play in most positions if something goes wrong? I think what we'll see is that over the next two or three weeks, um, Voss is probably just going to experiment with this. And maybe it is Motlop this week, and next week Silvani comes back in, depending on how they go this week. And it might be neither of them, because Jack Martin mm. they really like, and he hasn't been able to get a clean run at it as well. Good mark for his size, good finisher. So that he's in the wings as well. George Hewitt's still got to come back in, and Zach Williams still got to come back in. So yeah. This is where the upside for Carlton is in these weeks. Pittnet back, we saw McGovern Finally, come back, yeah. and he looked like he was he looked seamless in his return, which was really promising. Yeah, so getting the health of your squad back, and, and hopefully they get a decent run of it 
for a month and then you're looking a lot better than they were five or six weeks ago. Dan Hanabry, so St Kilda's season is, well, it, it might be in its death throes or they, they might scratch and claw and still reclaim a place in eighth. But is this the, the last stop shop for Dan Hanabry, Kane? What a thought, so yeah, I, I, yeah. It's, I, we just we hope, you know, we we've hated what he's gone through. Um, I'm glad he's got another opportunity. The fact that he's hung in there when maybe some others would have given up, but they got some big outs like Billings and Gresham done for the year is is huge for them. So it's nice to have a player with Dan Hanabry's experience. What we look like, I got no idea, but this is a this is a significant danger game for St Kilda. I would have thought against Hawthorne, it would have gone pretty well and um, have. You know, have got a system that clearly works and will challenge St Kilda. So I wouldn't be surprised if they lost and then, yeah, be season over. The two great milestones of the rounds, Leon, Shane Edwards at Richmond and Joel Selwood at Geelong. They feature extensively in the AFL record, so there's a commemorative piece to it for Cats and Tigers fans. So first of all, with Selwood reaching 350. So, Kane, you would have played against him, and, Leon, you've coached against him. When you think about Joel Selwood and try to tie it all together, Leon, where does your mind go? I think everything we've discussed this morning. Um, You talk about nasty... You talk about leadership. He sits in both brackets when he wants to drag the team over the line. He does. I mean, you just you just love tough players that keep on keeping on. And uh, you know, every time he comes off the ground, you can just see he's exhausted. And um, you know, and, and to boot to go with that, he's such a genuine person when he crosses the line when he's finished his duties on game day. He will come and talk to you. He will talk about it. I remember, vividly remember when we were getting smashed at the Giants in the first few years by you know, 70 or 80 points. And we played Geelong a couple of times. And he was educating Shield, Trelaw, Cornelio and these guys on what to do out in the game because you'd see it on the vision. And then he'd acknowledge them afterwards. And so he's a genuine person. He deserves everything. Um, 350 games is unbelievably... Great sign of durability, and he's been at the top of his game for so long. So, um, you know, uh, you know, no doubt they're going to step up to the plate. And you talk about Shane Edwards, he's the unassuming player that just goes about his business. And um, a wonderful player who probably, you know, looked at probably was paddling a little bit before that end of 16 season when Richmond looked like they were down and out. And then all of a sudden he got going again with a number of those players in the shift. In, in what he's been able to do and play wing, inside, half-back, half-forward, um, you know, elite speed, great tackler. He's like that spirit of the team, and he's like everyone loves him in the four walls of Richmond. And, um, I mean, 300 games, as we talk about, he's just unbelievably, you know, a huge effort, and um, congratulate them both. All of that value for touch with Edwards, like not massive numbers like some midfielders get, but every time he touches it, something happens. Hard to argue, I think, that Selwood's not a legend in the Hall of Fame one day, Jared. Like when you actually break down his record. So if you're the, if you're in the conversation to be the best player ever in the history of your club, and he's definitely in that conversation, whether he's one, two, three, or four, I don't know. They've had some pretty good players. You're going straight to legend status at some point now. When he's, it might be when he's 60, 70. I don't know when it is, but. To actually read through his record that Geelong posted during the week, it is outrageous. It's as good a record as perhaps, I don't know, we've seen in the game. He's got he's got all bases covered. He's got the big game performances. He's got the leadership. He's got the respect from his peers. He's got the courage. He's got the character. He's got the win-loss percentage. He's got every base that you would want ticked off. I wonder how the recruiters that overlooked him are feeling. 
Because that, 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 that knee is supposed to be dodgy, isn't it? He's supposed to have a dodgy cut. knee when he was re- recruited, <laughs> so I don't know what what's gone on there. He was yeah, he was fortunate to be recruited to Geelong. There's no doubt about that, and be surrounded by the players that he was. But I always thought, well, this guy's had such a big impact from the moment he stepped in, and he's setting standards as an 18 year old. That, he's the player I admire most out of my sort of generation. I've, I've I've just got such admiration for for him, and he's still doing it now. Like not to the level that he was, but he's still impacting games now. Leon, it's imagine it's hard to believe that he's still this angry out on the ground. How do you maintain the rage for this long, that fire, that intensity that surely must wane in the back end of your career when perhaps, you know, you don't care. Well, a lot of players don't seem to anyway in the back end of their career, but he's still fighting tooth and nail for every centimetre out there. Yeah, he is. And, uh, oh, look, I think Kane summed it up. I mean, he's got all bases covered, so that's probably the answer. I mean, he just, as soon as he, he's got white line fever, but he can be such a gentleman off the field. I mean, very rarely do you see that. I mean, and so when he crosses the field, it's just ball up, it's on, away we go. And um, I don't care who you are, I'm going to try to beat you, knock your head off as, as much as I possibly can. If you get in my way, this is what's going to happen. And, and that's, I suppose, you just admire that, not only for a year, but we're talking, what's it, year mm. 16? Mm. 16 years he's been doing that and uh, you know you talk about I know we laugh about the draft of that year what was it pick seven he took yep. we were taking it pick seven so you know six players beforehand you know and they, I can't remember those six but those you know it's amazing imagine if he had it end up somewhere else would he have been this good would he have I think we all say he would have been would he have had three flags all that sort of stuff so Look, he's um, he should be celebrated in the manner that we're talking about him because of what he does, and and, and no doubt uh, Geelong will want to play a really good performance for him tonight. Yeah, there's a huge legacy piece left in this season. If he does finish up holding the cup aloft as a premiership captain, I think it would end the conversation. So there's Polly Farmer, two Gary Ablets, and Joel Selwood. I think if he had that moment, premiership captain, yeah, I think that would probably end any discussion. Mm. He, it, he's probably at the top of that list anyway, but one more crowning moment. Who, who's the hottest name in trade circles this Saturday, Sam? Oh, gee, well, uh, it's the eye of the beholder, really, to be honest. I, th- I think we need to talk about Jordan Degoe, though, and I know we've done that a lot throughout the year. Um, rival clubs have long said that he's on the way out. Now, increasing whispers that Geelong, actually, while we're on the subject of the Cats, right in the hunt for Jordan to go in. Now, Collingwood, we know, have parked things until the end of the year in regards to a contract. Just looking from the outside in, it just had that feel that Bali was the final straw. Now, we know St Kilda are in the hunt, perhaps to a different pay bracket than what Geelong would be, but it does open up an interesting debate about where Jordan Degoe, assuming he does leave Collingwood, is best served to go. Does he go to somewhere like St Kilda, where it's debated whether the framework is in place to, quote-unquote, support Degoe and harness his talent? Or does he go down the highway where many have gone before him for perhaps a little bit less, but with a really stable structure and um, a really sound culture and strong-willed teammates around him to get the best out of his game? It's at such a fascinating juncture of his career, Jordan Degas. So, so if you're in, again, I know it's a hypothetical question. If you're at Collingwood, why are you trading out Degas? Jared? Well, I think it would be, if it is the way that it goes, it would just be the accumulation of all that's happened across the years and just not willing to subject yourself to that again in a fresh contract. So it would be... I think there's a feeling that he's worn them out, Leon. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Now, whether that can be retrieved in the last three, in the last four weeks of the season and into a final series, I don't know. Um, but I do think Sam's, what Sam's proposed there is, is, so what do you want, Jordan? Do you want to be the best professional that you can possibly be or do you want the dollars and, the, and, and to be lauded in, a, in an environment? I think we'll learn a bit about him if that is mm. what happens. Mm. Mm. I just want to see him play well as well. I haven't seen mm. him play well for ages. So he just, there's a, the reputation around him, but how often does he actually get coaches' votes? Or how often is he in the best three or four in the ground or really impactful on the result? Haven't seen it as much this year and it's been sporadic across his career. So, yeah, perhaps they're frustrated by what they've paid him versus the performance that they've got. Mm. And, you know, there's, if there's a bit of salary cap pressure with Grundy and the like and they want to make some moves to get a Taranto or someone like that, then that makes it a bit easier. I think there's other pieces in the, in the puzzle for Collingwood as well, just coming back to Leon's point, you know, whether it be McStay coming in, uh, the interest that they might have in Tim Taranto as well, Brody Grundy's a, a, a live conversation at the moment. It might not happen, but certainly being canvassed with other clubs at the moment. So there's a few balls in the air if, you, if you're Collingwood as well, aside from going. Give me another name. Um... Well, Brody Grundy, we just mentioned there, those conversations have been had with rival clubs. Now, I know there's been some conjecture over that. Uh, Collingwood are open to this, should the right deal eventuate and, 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 you know, how it might look. But it is a live proposition at the moment. Uh, Luke Jackson, we've already spoken about um, at length at Alan Richardson interview with you on AFL Nation last night. Liam Jones has made up his mind. He wants to get to the Western Bulldogs. Now, how that actually happens, I don't think even the Western Bulldogs know at this point. There are reports uh, today that um, he will be classified as an unrestricted free agent and therefore Carlton get what they want, which is the compensation. I'm told that that absolutely hasn't been confirmed from the AFL at the moment, not to say that won't come to pass and that those reports aren't correct, but he wants to get to the Western Bulldogs, which is a pretty good contract. I mean, a three-year um, contract offer, Leon, for, for Liam Jones to get back there, which is, a, I guess, a show of faith in the player who's coming back a very different one to the one he left as a failed forward, but also... When you do these things, I suppose, you've got to, you've got to smooth the contracts out sometimes as well to, to fit all the other pieces in. I think that's the case. Sorry, Leo. How does it affect Lob? So you've got Hugo Hagen, Darcy, Bruce, all of that. Does, does that change things with Lob? Never understood Lob, to be honest with you. Uh, and I know they're on the public record saying that, that they would have an interest in him. Um, I just don't know where Lob fits when you've got Sam Darcy and all the other people. All to come on Crunch Time, the Round 20 edition. We're at the G ahead of the Pies and the Power. award-winning crunch time on crunch time we're gearing up for the games today thanks to dometic go on your next adventure dometic.com beautiful crisp blue skies in melbourne on a chilly afternoon collingwood and port adelaide to do battle in front of us at the home of footy mark anderson is the chief executive of the magpies mark great to have you on crunch time welcome Good to be with you, Jared. And it is a ripping day, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. A better out of the shade, I suspect, than in the sun. Yeah, well, I'm standing in the shade, and Josh Dacos has just stolen my jacket to go and warm up, so I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit chilly. How's the heart holding up to this sequence of thrillers? Oh, it's been tested, hasn't it? It's been amazing. And uh, last week uh, certainly was uh, almost the, the pinnacle of that with uh, Billy's goal after the match was just stunning. But, uh, no, it's been amazing, but it's uh, certainly uh, been a stress test. The course of the season, Mark, are you, are you living the best case scenario of what 2022 could be? 
Uh, I don't know about the best case scenario, but it's, it's been a great ride so far. But uh, I think when uh, Craig came in, he was he, he was all about just maximising performance of individuals and the team and putting no cap on that. And we've been consistent about that all over pre-season and into the uh, into the season as well. So that's been consistent. So you know, maximum performance, trying to improve performance every time we step through the doors and out on the ground. And he's held true to that. And uh, yeah, it's it's going well, but clearly a long way to go. Yet. He has created an, an incredible impression right across the football world. You've seen him up close as the club selected him and put him in place. What are the what are the overwhelming qualities that you would convey when it comes to assessing Craig McRae in the job? Yeah, well, I, th- I think from minute almost minute one in the process, he he impressed just about the the way he goes about it and who he is as a person uh, and he's hugely relationship focused uh, but what I love about him as well it's not just uh, about getting alongside and, and kind of giving a cuddle which he, he does really well he develops great relationships with all of his players and and coaching staff and staff but he's also like all coaches need to be he's, he's expectations are clear and he sets high standards and he expects those so he's got a great balance between you know, getting alongside and developing great relationships but also being clear in expectation. Do you reflect on the, the decisions that you made and what you've put together not just Craig but a really experienced coaching group to come in with him and do you do you look at that and feel like if there was some there was some really canny decisions made? Uh, you don't have a chance to reflect too much in this business, as you know, when you're kind of on the treadmill, so focus forward. But uh, I think at the time we were really focused on the importance of the coaching group and Craig clearly as head coach and senior coach being pivotal to that, but who we put around him uh, was also pivotal. So, you know, with Leper and Bolts coming in and Hayden Skipworth already there and Scotty Selwood, they're a, a great dynamic. And what I love about it is they're all different. So they all bring something different, but they work really well as a unit together. So that uh, coaching package has, has worked really well. It wouldn't be Collingwood if you weren't at the centre of various conversations, Mark, and that's certainly true at the moment. Did the club make formal representations to the AFL around the Jack Ginnivan scenario during the week? Uh, yeah, we did ask for, uh, you know, I guess, uh, an understanding of, of the decision and and, uh, and the AFL did say that that was a decision that was uh, not a correct one and we, we agreed with that. But, you know, we also get how hard it is to umpire and, and the pressure that umpires are under and, and we all make mistakes as well. So we agree that that one was a mistake and uh, we move on. Is he too much the lightning rod for, for a broader issue, do you feel? Uh, look, that's a fair question, comment, Jared. And uh, I think as a you know, he's a 19-year-old, so the the focus on him's been incredible over the season. And from our perspective, uh, we we want and are trying to ensure that he's focused on all of his footy. And uh, you know, he's still a young player and a developing player. And so we don't want it to be all about just free kicks because that's not what playing's all about. So. We'll let uh, the umpires umpire and we'll play and our players will play. And our focus for Jack is certainly him getting better on field. So there are, there are top four considerations for now, but you are an intrigue as to what's going to come next. So Sam Edmund's going to try his luck with you on a, on a few fronts here, Mark. <laughs> Mark, appreciate your time. No, as good as this year's been, and gee, hasn't it been? There's always obviously planning for the future and, and as you'd acknowledge, a desire to keep improving. So 
With that in mind, have you made a commitment to Dan McStay, who's uh, an unrestricted free agent, of course? Uh, I like the uh, Jared's coming in from one end and uh, the opening <laughs> over and you've come in from the other. Good Very appropriate for the uh, MCG, Sam. Uh, no, look, we, uh, we're, we're focused on our current playing group and with four rounds to go, that's what it's all about. We've, uh, we've got a great list and they're performing and that's our focus and, uh, and, and we need to stay focused on that. I ask you if you had a commitment to Dan McStay. I'll dial it back for Tim Taranto. Does the club have an interest in him up at GWS? Look, I'm, I'm being boring, Sam, but it's the same answer. We're, uh, you know, we, we don't talk about uh, players at other clubs and, and it wouldn't be appropriate to do so. And all of our focus is on today and the next four weeks. All right, your current players. I know you spoke about Brody Grundy at length during the week, and we can look, obviously, for things that aren't there at times. I mean, what, Mark, what do you say to people who assess that as you perhaps not being as categoric as you could have been, that Brody Grundy will be at the club next year? I think uh, yeah, some of the commentary is about what I didn't say rather than what I did say, and the reason that there's that commentary is I don't want to or like commenta- uh, commenting on our current players and, and lists and, uh, and contracts, and... That's not appropriate. Uh, you know, we're focusing on. It's great that Brody's back at uh, Vic Park today, and he's. Uh, I was, uh, haven't been able to get there, but I was having a look at uh, how he was tracking, and he's tracking well. And all of our focus for Brodes and, in fact, Geordie is to get them back out on the park and playing great footy. Now, our SEN commentary booth, Mark, is uh, positioned perfectly right behind where Jamie Elliott kicked that incredible uh, post-Soren uh, winner from the other week. So he's out of contract as well, is he not? Um, obviously, there'd be talks underway with, with re-signing him beyond this year. Yeah, discussions are going well with, uh, with Billy. And uh, so Graham Wright uh, heads up that area and does a, a great job in that space. And... Uh, yeah, discussions with Billy are going well. And it's such a great depth of talent at your club and, and the father-son aspect of the game, particularly Collingwood, is so rich and so strong. The, the Brown brothers, though, Callum and Tyler, I think they're another uh, pairing that need deals done. But will they be at the club next year, do you think, Mark? Yeah, well, certainly uh, both Browns are playing out at, at Vic Park as well and uh, both have been playing really good footy in the, in, uh, in the VFL and uh, both clearly had uh, good match time in the AFL as well. So... They're, they are playing good footy. Uh, they're pushing for selection every week and uh, they both were named in our squad before we got to our final list. So they're right about uh, the edge of the senior team and the AFL team as well. How'd I go, Jared? Five out of ten? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you nicked him off. But that's, uh, no, he played me on a break. So, are these big weeks for Jordan Degowie as he returns to the team, Mark? Oh, I'm just watching him uh, from about 10 metres away, just uh, wandering over to the ball and picking up and about to have a shot for goal, so I'll report on that. Uh, he's actually nailed that. You, uh, no, I don't actually. He just missed it. But, uh, no, look, he, he's, uh, he's done a mini pre-season. He obviously had a bit of a tweak, and uh, he's had three weeks uh, going hard off-field off in terms of training, and he's prepared himself really well. as watching him in the rooms just before we came out and smiling, happy, and raring to go. So we're all looking forward to what Geordie brings today. Your opponent this afternoon, has Collingwood played a role in preventing Port Adelaide wearing the prison bars Guernsey in the in the showdown at the end of this season? Uh, look, I, I think it's not about this season. We reached agreement uh, a number of seasons ago around the Port came to us with a request of uh, wearing their traditional jumper in there, I think it was a 150th year celebration and uh, sat down and uh, had a discussion with Eddie and myself at that time and Absolutely, we were uh, wanting them to wear their jumper in such a pivotal match. And we reached an agreement at that stage where it would be a one-off. 
uh, and it wouldn't occur again. So our position's been consistent throughout. So whilst it's become a discussion every year and every season, which is a little frustrating, but that, that's that's what it is, uh, the agreement that we did reach together uh, and signed by both clubs was that that was a one-off. So would you be prepared to revisit that or is that going to be your default position? Oh, no, look, we've, uh, we always have discussions and, and respectful. Port is a, is a great footy club and we do have great respect for them and so always happy to have it, sit down and have a conversation and we, we have since signing that agreement as well. But as we sit, stand here now, uh, the agreement is the agreement. Mark, good to have you with us. Thanks a lot and good luck for this afternoon. We'll see if it's a stock standard win or whether they'll take you through the ringer again. Uh, well, let's, let's hope it's a win and I'll take any win, but uh, yeah, stock standard one would be good. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Good Mark. stuff. Mark Anderson, the Chief Executive of Collingwood. So the bounce back for Juravich, Leon Cameron, I'm interested in Port here, providing erosion control and environmental revegetation. They took Melbourne and Geelong the distance in the past two weeks. I feel like their game is actually in really good shape. They're probably likely to be eternally frustrated at the end that they're on the outside looking in and maybe feeling like they're in better form than a few of those who, who are going to qualify. This would be a good afternoon to sort of make a demonstration of that. Absolutely. And I think in amongst the walls of Port Adelaide, they've always stated it's it's never over till it's over. And I think this game's... Um, going to be an unbelievable game. I think Port are into it, uh, into this game um, as well as they've been in the last couple. They've got two 200-game players, Ollie Wines and Tom Jonas. I mean, Jonas is the spirit of their team in the back line. He's their captain, and Wines is, well, we know what he can do as well. So, I, look, I see Port really pushing Collingwood. Whether they can get over the, the top of them is clearly the challenge that Port have had in the last couple of weeks. They're sort of, they're playing about an 8 out of 10 game. They're a goal or two short of knocking over some really good opponents. So I think it's going to be a wonderful opportunity. If they do salute Port, their run home then just opens up a little bit and all of a sudden they'll be giving them every, you know, every, they're giving themselves every chance to slide into that 8th position. So, you know, I don't think, you know, if you're a a Collingwood supporter, you would be coming to the MCG really nervous today about uh, about Port Adelaide. Yeah, I've got a I've got a barometer Collingwood supporter in my life. Is the barrister at, at Mr Burton? He was really nervous, <laughs> nervous about today when I was heading in. <laughs> is there the one thing, Leon, that we can't probably measure pregame, especially, is the appetite for Port Adelaide? While it has been there, make no mistake. Do, is there come a tipping point where the players think, "Oh, gee, we can't. We've got to give up the chase. We potentially can't make the eight here." So I think it's today. Yeah. I seriously think it's today for Port. So I think it's their last roll of the dice. And so I think they'll absolutely give everything. The added bonus is I know you shouldn't judge milestones and you shouldn't be up even more than, a, you know, for a milestone and not a milestone. But the fact of the matter is Wines and Jonas play their 200 games together. They're favourite sons and, and they come to the MCG. They're the underdogs. People have probably written them off. It's a classic Ken Hinckley game. And I think, I think, you know, they're, they're a massive chance to win this. You turn, you talked about the, the intent and the effort. If they don't salute today, then I think there could be a drop away. But I reckon they will be absolutely red hot to go against the Pies today. We're gearing up for all the action today for Dometic. Make your next adventure effortless with the Dometic Go collection. Just pack, stack and go. Special rev up coming next. I want Leon Cameron to take us to the heart of the Sydney rivalry. Giants and Swans, who will have the next instalment this afternoon. 
What is the friction like behind the scenes and those big finals along the way that the Giants have prevailed in? The Rev Up coming next. Mm. The award-winning crunch time. Who needs a rev up for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. We want the rev up for what should be the Battle of the Bridge, the Sydney Derby. The Swans and the Giants meet. The rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. Leon Cameron, you lived this in a very real way. You cultivated this and had heroic moments in finals over the Crosstown rivals. Take us behind the curtain. What's the depth of feeling like between the two teams? Oh, it's real, Jared. Uh, clearly, um, there's, a, there's a lot of... Um hatred amongst each other, the Swans and the Giants, and it's real. I mean, there's an enormous amount of respect, you know, when we play the game and we shake hands afterwards. But uh, the bragging rights are absolutely real here in Sydney, and, and it'll be no different today. I mean, people look at, the you know, Sydney in the top four, top five, and the Giants you know, down in the bottom four. But I remember in 2019 when it was the reverse, and the Swans took us to about a two-point, I think we won by two points at 19 out at Giants Stadium. And... It doesn't matter where you sit on the ladder. It's just it's intense, and you know the guys don't like each other. And um, and and you'll see another classic game today. I I think it's going to go down the wire. I give the Giants a genuine chance, regardless of where they are at the ladder. And you know over the years, there's been some wonderful derbies. I remember the very first game I coached it was a derby. It was at um, it was at a Giants Stadium, and um, the lightning <laughs> hit the light tower, <laughs> and we had to stop the game. And I remember walking with the coaches down from the box to the, the rooms. We had about a 30-minute delay. And I said to the boys, um, this might be called off. Um, this is good. I'm going to get two points in my first game. It might be a draw. <laughs> and um, so it was quite unique. We, we, we were lucky enough to go on and win the game. But, um, I mean, it's had some wonderful moments. I, I'm looking over the SCG now and looking at the guys warm up and... You know, Parker's been a massive player. He's won so many, you know, Brett Kirk medals. Heaney's been a very big player. Franklin walked across the ground on his own about an hour ago, just looking at the ground in the centre square. It was just a really good visual to see him prepare because he's kicked multiple goals. He's had wonderful battles with Phil Davis. I've seen him push Nick Haynes off here in the forward flank and kicked a 70-metre bomb in 2018, and they skipped away by three or four goals. And... But last year, Josh Kelly kicked one from the from the goal square to put us up uh, by a couple of points with about a minute to go. So every year there's been a story and uh, there's a true respect for each other. But there's as soon as that ball bounces, you know, they want to kill each other on the footy field. And uh, there'll be no different today. And the Giants get a number of players back, which, you know, clearly evens up that contest. And, um, you know, the Swans will be wary of that. But equally, they are on top of their game and they are going to be hard to beat. If I mention the 2016 qualifying final, which is one of the wildest, most physical games I've ever seen, it will, it will always live with me. Stadium Australia, which wasn't a great venue, I didn't ever think for footy, but that was some sort of afternoon. Yeah, it was, and uh, you know, just before we, uh, I remember learning something from Alistair Clarkson uh, in the finals in 11 and 12 when I was at Hawthorne, and um, you know, I could see our boys were really nervous. It was our first final series, and you know, there was sixty-one thousand there, Jared, and it was a wonderful, you know, um, opportunity for New South Wales footy to see two, you know, local sides go toe to toe, you know, in a final. And um, 
So it was a you know it was a great result clearly for the Giants at the time. But I remember they were really nervous, and we sort of said in the in the in the rooms afterwards we uh, sorry in the rooms before they run out. And I, said, uh, I said boys, it's just a game of footy. It's just a game of footy. We're going to wake up um, tomorrow morning, win or lose, and and we're still going to move on. Okay. And it sort of just took a little bit of the pressure away. I said, go out there and enjoy yourself. It's going to be physical. Little did I know what was brewing between Mumford and Steve Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Even though, you know, you challenge them. And Mumford just plays his physical way and he just loves to, you know, impose himself in the game. And Stevie Johnson ran into um, Kennedy. Unfortunately, got a week, which, you know, cost us in the prelim two weeks later. But um, it was one of those old-fashioned games where it was... I'll punch you, you punch me, I'll punch you, you punch me. And it was on for young and old and you know, we were we were good enough to break away back then when I was was the coach. So but it's it's had some wonderful games and uh, you know, some been been some massive finals last year and we, we made all the running and then we were holding on for dear life and yeah. I think the Swans kicked seven points in a row and they had opportunities to, to, to run over the top of us and I think we won by a point in the end. So there's um, there's a story to tell in every game here, and uh, it's a genuine rivalry, which is fantastic considering you know you've got the Port Adelaide and the Adelaide rivalry, you've got the Freo and West Coast rivalry, and you've got the Q clash up there. This is real. It took a little while. It took a few years because you know we probably weren't living up to our end of the bargain because we probably weren't capable. But by George, over the last six or seven years, there's been a, a script on every game. Yeah, they've been excellent. Turn your daily commute into a daily thrill-seeking adventure at Harley Heaven, Melbourne, Ringwood and Dandenong. Time for a little Crunch Time Dabble. Enjoying Crunch Time Banter? Check out Dabble Banter channels and copy Crunch Time Bets. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks very much, Jared. Let's go to Josh Jeans at Dabble Headquarters. G'day, Josh. Welcome. G'day, Sam. How are you? I'm going very well. How are you? Because I, I need to wish you a happy birthday. Yeah, that's right. One year of trading at Dabble, so we're all pretty excited. It's been a, a big year, great year. And on Thursday to celebrate, we had some of the staff that you wouldn't normally see go on our live stream that we've just introduced in the app and in the banter channels. And uh, the man that usually pays all our, our checks, Baz from Finance, he hit, he hit a winner paying four sixty and three hundred and sixty five punters topped the bet, and he uh, sunk his head into his hands because he knew he was paying out a few people that day. <laughs> Good on you, Baz from Finance. That is, that is brilliant. What about the way of dabbling, Josh? Yeah, that's right. So the crunch time team hit last Sunday. Uh, Mickey Barlow picking up the uh, the chocolates there. Free AFL tips as well. They had. Uh, a bet paying uh, five seventy five with the Lions, Sun, same game multi, and fifty one other dabblers having a win because they hit that copy bet button. Sammy, Mickey Barlow, uh, still worth his waiting gold. <laughs> what what have the team got for us this week, then, Josh? Uh, now we're doing the favourites again. Uh, last time we did this, we missed by one, but uh, good feelings today. Magpies to win, the Swans to get up, the Saints over the Hawks, the Cats to do it against the Dogs. Uh, I don't know about that one. Dogs looked pretty good last week, and the Blues 25-plus against the Crows. What do you like there, Sammy? No, I like them all. I know I'm all aboard the Cats train. Uh, when you drop <laughs> your best key defender and you're going up against the best key forward duo in the comp, I think I'm siding with the Cats for now. <laughs> Well, you are the expert, and uh, that's why we follow you. So, uh, Crunch Time AFL, you can follow them on the Dabble app. Just download it and go on, have a dabble. Dabble socially and gamble responsibly. 
Enjoy crunch time banter. Check out Dabble Banter Channels and copy crunch time bets. Go and have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Leon, you're in Sydney. You'll be part of the call team for the Swans and the Giants. So enjoy what's about to transpire in the Harbour City. Cheers, Jared. See Sam. Enjoy Good the day. You, Great to have you as part of Crunch Time. Sam, thank you. Good on you, Jared. No late changes here, by the way. Uh, Josh Carmichael, the sub. Willem Drew for Port Adelaide. It's a super sub, Josh Carmichael. Just bad, get him it? in at the right time. What does unfold here at the G this afternoon? I'll be joined by Andy Marr here shortly. So it's Collingwood and Port Adelaide as we really get into the work of Round 20. Melbourne showed the way last night, and it has been the feature of Crunch Time for Round 20. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.